Get Up Nation. My name is Ben Biddick. I am the creator and host of the Get Up Nation podcast, where I serve individuals, organizations, and societies to develop and sustain resilience and perseverance. I'm the co-author of Get Up, The Art of Perseverance with former Major League Baseball player and CEO of Rurong Living, Adam Greenberg. The Get Up Nation podcast is brought to you in partnership with GotYour6Coffee.com, where Navy veteran Eric Hadley is committed to serving first responders, veterans, and their families through a variety of nonprofit organizations. No stranger to adversity, Eric has fused necessity of coffee with his passion for public service. You're already purchasing coffee. Why not empower your coffee with purpose? Why not purchase coffee that not only has your six, but also has the backs of those who don a uniform of service for our communities and great country? Learn more about Eric and his freshly roasted award-winning coffee at gotyoursixcoffee.com. Welcome to this episode of the Get Up Nation podcast. Recently, I had the honor and privilege of speaking with Dr. Alia Gurguris and Khan Apostolopoulos, who co-wrote Seven Keys to Navigating a Crisis. The book provides powerful yet practical insights to help minimize the negative impact of pandemics, natural disasters, financial meltdowns, or any other major disruptions in our lives. Dr. Gregoras has also authored the number one Amazon's best-selling book, Seven Paths to Lasting Happiness, which was created to help people sustain a fulfilling and joyful life. Honored and grateful Dr. Gregoras and Khan Apostolopoulos have taken some time to share their brilliance with Get Up Nation. In between their appointments with C-suite leaders and their teams, helping them achieve their highest potential in creating empowering cultures of accountability, productivity, and happiness. Thank you for joining me on the Get Up Nation show. My name is Dr. Ilya Gregoras, um, the president and founder of the Happiness Center, and I'm passionate about happiness and wellness. I'm a father, a husband, a friend, someone who loves to serve. What motivates me more than anything else is to be of service to others. My grandfather, whose name I carry, taught me a lesson, you know, about half a century ago when I was a five-year-old little kid. He told me, grandson, he said, if you want to be happy in life, if you do this one thing every day, I promise you, you'll be the happiest kid alive. So my ears perked up like this. It says, do something good for somebody else every day and you'll have, you live a great life. And that's kind of like what motivates me and what drives me. I wrote a book called Seven Past the Lasting Happiness that hit number one on Amazon. And that really has become my business card in a lot of ways. And then obviously with Coach Khan, who will introduce himself in a minute, best friend, brother, brothers in arms together. We wrote a book called Seven Keys to Navigating a Crisis to help as many people as we can, because we could see there's a tsunami of crisis happening when we wrote it, and it's turned out to be true. And just like being on your show here, Ben, we're literally being interviewed every single day, radio, TV, you know, podcast, webinars every day, because there's such a hunger for help because people are down and out and they need help. My name is Konstantinos Apostolopoulos. For obvious reasons, most of my friends call me Coach Khan. <laughs> and I am in addition to being a good friend and a brother to Dr. Ilya, I am a change and performance improvement expert. I've worked over the last almost three decades now in that field, developing people's skills, helping them learn and grow, helping organizations achieve their performance goals and manage many of their change efforts, some of which they are by design and some of which, some of which like this crisis now are thrust upon them. My objective, both professionally and personally, has always been to help others reach their goal. I'm somebody who, just like Dr. Ilya, likes to serve, likes to help. And through the work that we do individually and with my family, we try to make the best and provide services and help to our community and the people that we, that we interact with. This has been a great opportunity for us during this time of COVID to be able to give back from our area of expertise. And just like Dr. Ilya mentioned, we come from slightly different backgrounds. For him, it's been much more of the positive psychology and the clinical aspect of that piece. For me, it's been as a practitioner of uh, change management. But together, we've been able to combine our background, our knowledge, to provide insights and help, first and foremost, to individuals that are struggling during this time of massive change, but also beyond that, to leaders of organizations and teams that are seeking answers at a time when, as they go into their toolkit, they find that they're very short in answers in dealing with this kind of chaos right now. These are challenges that were largely unforeseen. Everything changes your expertise. Clinical psychology is essential. There's a lot of people who are extremely isolated. Just prior to, to opening up this recording, we, we discussed a lot of the elderly people in our communities who 
are very isolated, a lot of them dealing with suicidal ideation, dealing with thoughts of, you know, the challenge at the, at the end of life is to oftentimes behavioralists talk about how it's important for people who are looking back upon their life to be able to have a sense of, I left a legacy, I did something positive, I impacted others with my life, and and that makes my life feel like it means something. And so it can, that can lead to a, a sense of peace moving forward into the ultimate transition. And a lot of people are suffering in their isolation, not really feeling that they're able to do that or dealing with mental illness stemming from isolation that blocks their satisfaction of that. Tell me more about the people that you're serving, the concepts you want people to know about during this time, and how you can help them navigate their crisis. First of all, let's be crystal clear that we're not facing just a pandemic. This isn't just a one crisis deal. If it was, we could deal with a lot better. We have, like you said, the mental health crisis, where at the minimum, depression, anxiety, and stress is up at 800% and continue to grow. Mind you, these are not pre-existing conditions. These are not people that were depressed or anxious or stressed prior to the pandemic. It's as a result of that. Then you throw in you know, the economic and financial crisis when you have tens of millions, certainly Americans and hundreds of millions across the globe, unemployed, underemployed, or plain financially insecure, not knowing what the future holds. And then you throw in the social unrest and the racial divisions that we have. So we have four major crises happening simultaneously. And that doesn't take even into account any personal crisis people might have, like their own health, aside from pandemic, or you know, a divorce, or struggling with their kids, or struggling to take care of their elderly parents, or having lost loved ones. So I don't, I'm not even counting those. I'm saying about the four big ones. So human beings are pretty resilient. We've, you know, we can overcome crisis. We've done it before. We can typically do one, maybe, you know, one or two at the same time, not four or five. So that's why you're seeing people struggling mightily, unlike at any other time. The calls to suicide hotlines is at an all-time high. Drug and alcohol abuse has increased. So people are struggling because of loneliness, the isolation that you talked about. Human beings are, we're meant to connect. So I've talked to people who have not had a hug. Now, I want you to think about this in your own lives. They haven't touched or hugged another person in four or five months. Do you understand what I'm saying? Do you know how detrimental that is, not only to our physical health, but to our emotional and mental health? You know, luckily, we we have to be surrounded by family. So we see each other, we hug, we kiss, we, you know, we do all that. But there's some people that don't have any of that. Yeah, so take that then and extrapolate that out. And part of what we've tried to do with our approach is to offer a hand, to offer a sense to help. We sat down and Dr. Ilya approached me mid-March when we actually had the shutdown for COVID. And in the midst of this chaos, we were wondering what we were going to do personally, but also once we got past that, how are we going to help beyond that? Now, typically when two Greeks get together, they normally open a restaurant, but because we really can't <laughs> very well, we decided but beyond that, we figured that, you know what, we have some skills outside of our culinary skills that we could do, we could use to help people deal with this chaos right now. So we sat down together. He asked me, he says, I want to write the book. I want to write this book. I have a calling. I feel it in my gut. I have an intuition. I've heard a, uh, the voice speak to me. He says, are you in? And I said, without any hesitation, yes, because we both agreed that this was our opportunity to offer a helping hand. We have knowledge this looks, feels, smells, tastes like something that we've been through before. Let's talk. So we sat down and essentially within 45 days, we were able to publish the ebook first at the beginning of May, first of May, and then within a week or so, we were able to put out the paperback. Now, we wrote it very, very purposefully in very simple language. It's not an academic book. It's not a scientific book. We purposefully stayed away from all of the heavy statistics on all of the, 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 the medical aspects of that and rather focused on the behavioral pieces. How can we, through positive psychology, through simple behavioral activities and insights, help people transition, give people a message of hope and of resilience? And when you break those things down, hope and resilience, they open up a world of seven keys. And these seven keys are the things that we put out and we laid out in a book, in a very easy to consume book that you can read in a few hours if you want, but you can also earmark, you can write up, you can actually revisit time after time because at 
the end of each chapter, it includes very simple summaries that says, okay, here are the key points to remember. Here are some questions to ask yourself and your loved ones. And here are some simple activities that you can do. So for each chapter, there's something to take and sink your teeth into. Dr. Ilya likes to say, you know what? Knowledge without application is just information. And in many ways, we've lived by that mantra. We wrote it simply for people to be able to consume people of all walks of life because everybody needs it. And we wrote it in such a way that it's actionable so people can actually do something with this. The amazing thing is that we're finding that beyond the individuals that are dealing with this crisis, now we're having many of the leaders that of organizations and our client companies that are reaching out to us and saying, you know, we need answers as well. We're not only responsible for ourselves, we're responsible for teams, we're responsible for entire organizations. As a veteran, Ben, you understand the significance of being able to be there for your teammates right. and for, for, for your fellow warriors from this. And we're all battling together for this part. So they're finding themselves in a situation where they have very few answers. And now we're basically taking those same keys, those same principles, and extrapolating them out now for organizations and teams so they can then navigate this process to their place. That's excellent. I know you guys are dealing with, you know, the C-suite of these organizations and you are helping leaders who may be grappling, like you said, at the multiple levels of challenge here. You have, you know, your personal situation where you're dealing with your, all of your, your family or your finances, you know, your health, things like that. But then leaders of these organizations can be burdened by the, the stress of, you know, telling employees that, I don't know where the next paycheck is coming from. I, you know, they're forced to deal with complex challenges that go beyond their personal network. And I love, obviously, both of your service mindsets. You know, and I think a, a large percentage of CEOs and leaders that I've talked with share that same service mentality and really are grappling with how can I help my people and their families thrive through this. And so to give guidance to the C-suite, and let that trickle down. And that must be immensely satisfying work to empower people with a lot of authority and with a lot of influence in their life, to give them that ability, these seven keys to navigating a crisis, giving them the confidence and the ability to break down some of these overwhelming things that are happening, some of these unprecedented things that nobody maybe had a plan for three months ago, navigating a lot of gray areas from political officials, from medical organizations, you know, from different agendas that are being put out in different areas of information that are being modified or, or argued about or debated in this swarm of, of overwhelm that can lead to some, you know, serious challenges. And so for you to step in, check in with the C-suite people, helping lead their organizations through one of the most troubling times that, that we've ever, that certainly that I'm aware of that human beings have ever faced here any times recently. It's got to be satisfying to take that overwhelm and break down a foundation to help them navigate this crisis so that not only their personal wellness is impacted, but the people that they serve in their organizations. Yeah, it's interesting you, uh, you say that, Ben, because in this information I'm about to tell you comes from 15,000 HR directors, 15,000 different companies, these are the biggest things that are keeping the C-suite up at night, including HR directors. Number one, ensuring the mental and physical well-being of their employees. Prior to the pandemic, this wouldn't even make the top 10, honestly. But this is the number one. That's what's keeping them up at night. And a close second is basically maintaining employee engagement, productivity, and effectiveness. Well, for sure, in order to get number two right, you got to get number one right first. And that's what's flipped now. We have to take care of the emotional and physical and mental needs of our employees now because everybody's, in, in a lot of ways, they're struggling with PTSD. Yeah. I mean, across the board. Yeah. And then, you, and then you know, the, the third challenge they have, of course, is kind of creating this working from home environment. And Coach Khan can speak about that a little bit more specifically because we're not going back to business as usual anytime soon. Right. A good portion, I would say at least a third of employees will not refuse to go back to work in 2020 or maybe deep into 2021. They're, until there's a vaccine, these people are not coming back to work. Right. So how, do, how can you work from home and be effective when you're dealing with little kids who are not in school, mind you, right. at least for right now, or elderly parents that are sick? How do, you, how do you create that balance? And then, you know, the fourth biggest challenge that they have is adopting to this new normal or the next normal, like Coach Khan says, and to facilitate change and shape culture. So these are the four things that Coach Khan and I are addressing with companies. Ben, it's important for, you, for your audience to understand that right now, as we coach leaders at all levels, 
or as we talk to people that are responsible for themselves and others, a big part of what we're encouraging them to do is embrace, first and foremost, a growth mindset. Mm-hmm. A mindset that's not just fixed in the way that things used to be, but rather a mind that remains open, that is able to synthesize two or three seemingly disparate or even conflicting ideas and being able to bring them together so you can make decisions that will help you and your team move forward. Let me give you an example of a couple of those things. So not only are we seeing those challenges that Dr. Ely identified, but we're dealing with with a situation of what we call the leadership paradox right now. It, It feels like leaders are forced to to operate almost on two conflicting directions. On one hand, for example, they have to be able to show empathy to their workforce to understand that this situation is somewhat unprecedented. It's very different than what we've had to deal with. Yet on the other hand, they have to be able to set clear boundaries and expectations to avoid burnout, to avoid chaos and craziness. So think about those. Empathy on one side, tough love on the other one. So that's a paradox right there. In the past, I mean, 20 years ago, I was working with with a lot of companies that we were looking at how do we create that remote workforce at the time. Mm -hmm. And the two main obstacles that were in the way 20 years ago were, number one, trust from management, Mm -hmm. that people would do their job, and number two, the technology. Mm -hmm. So I remember when there were times where we were forcing employees to take pictures of their work setup, their ecosystem, if you will, to show that they were set up to work that way. That's how much lack of trust existed. Now, this situation, this this crisis, when, when we went all of a sudden pause and now everybody scatter, go home and work from there, it forced a trust issue from management. They didn't have a choice. Right. So they were forced to trust their employees. What they found is what we've been telling them for years, that left to their own devices, an empowered and an engaged workforce will do above and beyond what you expect them to do. Many managers, many leaders found themselves in a situation where they actually had to call people and say, get off the computer. <laughs> I can see you. It's 1 a.m. Why are you getting <laughs> Get off the computer. So all of a sudden now, we've overcome that issue of trust. Organizations are realizing that people are not just capable of working from home, but they're actually very good at it. On a typical situation, Dr. Ilya and I have written about this. You can expect four, maybe four and a half hours of productive time from any employee in an office environment because of many meetings, because of the distractions, because of going from one place to another, commute time, all of that stuff plays into it. So all of a sudden, you look at that, can I get four and a half good hours of somebody working from home? Oh, yeah. If they're engaged, if I'm doing my part right, I can. So the trust factor goes away. Now, look at the second part of that, the part of technology. The three of us are here on a video call at the same time in different parts of the country. The technology is there now. It's finally caught up. So now we can actually overcome much of that. And that's where we're coaching a lot of our, our, our folks to be able to understand these pieces of it. You know, we're being hurled forward in our innovation. We're being hurled forward in, in that growth mindset that's so important that stops the resistance. It, it, it says, well, this could ultimately be good for me. It opens our minds to, well, it's not comfortable, but you know what? I'm going to learn new things. And if I'm going to get this job done and be engaged by my work, I'm going to have to learn a few new skills along the way. How is this also affecting the destigmatizing of mental illness? So a lot of people, like you had mentioned, are leaders in business are focusing on the mental health of their employees, whereas a lot of time mental illness is viewed as a weakness or some sort of failure of men to be men, or, or you know, there's a lot of negative connotations of mental illness where it's just inhumane, it's unkind, it's not based on any facts, whereas people dealing with mental illness is almost commonplace here in that it's, you know, to treat it as a legitimate illness, to treat it and move forward and to understand and have empathy for people who are doing that, you know, to prevent suicide, to prevent all of these challenging things from causing overwhelm to the point where people are engaging in self-harm or dialing out and isolating and ruining social support aspects and protective factors that keep them safe and engaged and connected. Can you tell me a little bit about how this is taking the 
human race forward when it comes to our understanding of mental illness and mental health? Great point. Nobody has brought this point up until just now, Ben. But this is what, you know, there are a lot of blessings in disguise that have happened as a result of the pandemic. Let's go back to the statistics about the mental health crisis in the United States. 800% increase, depression, anxiety, and stress. This pandemic is, I call it the great equalizer. Because these people who did not have pre-existing conditions now themselves are depressed and anxious and stressed. So up until this point in their life, maybe they couldn't relate for people that had mental health issues. Now they have them themselves. And so that includes the CEOs, that includes the the, the leaders, because they're concerned about protecting their, their families and their homes and their extended families and so on and their employees. And they're physically and emotionally and mentally dealing it with it themselves. So now, now you have, I believe, an increased empathy. Where before we're like, well, that's weakness. Yeah. What are you right. depressed? You're well, yeah, that's weak. You're weak, basically. Now, when you experience it yourself, you kind of go, my goodness, all these years, you know, I used to be kind of judgmental towards those poor people that struggle with that stuff. I'm one of them now too. Right. So that's why this is actually. It's not a great thing. It's a, it's a terrible, this pandemic is terrible, actually. But some of the consequences are, are making us more aware of the mental and emotional struggles of other people. And therefore, there's an increase of empathy and an increase of compassion as a result of that. So anyway, I don't know if that answered your question, but we have a whole population now that finally understands because they're in it too. It's not them. It's all of us now. Think about it this way, Ben. It's, it's, it's what I like to say. This shakeup has created a wake-up. Hmm. And in many ways, that's a big part of what's happening. We're becoming much more aware of, of things that were right under the surface. We didn't start having mental issues, mental health issues after COVID. This was right. beforehand. Right. These were issues before, but again, to Dr. Ilya's point, many of us that were oblivious of those, either willingly or not, we didn't have the empathy because it wasn't touching us from that perspective. Mm-hmm. The same way now that if you don't have somebody in your life that's been that that's been struck and ill, or unfortunately may have lost their life because of this of this pandemic right now, you really don't look at it the same way. You feel other aspects of this multi-layered crisis, and that's what you focus on. But overall. Much of this is all about creating that sense of understanding and what's really happening in our world. Yeah. In some of the work that I've done as far as crisis negotiation, hostage negotiation, and and things where people have been overwhelmed, where we're trying to de-escalate people out of a crisis state and get them down into a more cognitive state where they're able to address their challenges in a successful, more calm manner. I think a lot about you know, the, the, the challenges and the growth that we are all experiencing here when it comes to this and the increased awareness of trauma, the increased awareness of the effects of the decisions we make or that others make on our behalf. So we're in this raw, vulnerable moment. And this can become something which teaches us valuable, valuable lessons for challenges to come for our entire life. Certainly, at some point, this pandemic will be controlled in some form or fashion, but there could always be another one. There will always be challenges in our life. Certainly, you know, things take on different forms and shapes, but when we talk about resilience, and I love the word of thriving, you know, like this can be something where you are helping people actually take this experience, which teaches us there's no guarantees and that everyone ultimately at some point dies. So what are we going to do with the time and the energy and the resources that we do have every day with nothing being guaranteed, how can we live with gratitude? How can we live with purpose and experience a profound sense of meaning without panicking and without being immobilized or paralyzed by fear and saying, even in the face of these challenges, these multi-layered challenges, as far as my life and as far as those I serve or those I live with or those I love or those you know called to, to serve in the community, how can we get people to go from that overwhelm and that awe into thriving? So I'm so glad you brought up the war paralyzing fear. There's a huge difference between danger and fear. Hmm. If somebody comes up to us and coughs in our face, we're in danger. That's a fact. That's a medical fact, not a political say. It's a fact. That's danger. Fear, on the other hand, is not your friend. Fear is paralyzing and debilitating. And we do, so it's not your friend. Remember that you don't want to make decisions about your personal life, your family life, or your professional life based on fear. So, you know, four different types of people when dealing with a crisis, not just the pandemic of any crisis, right? 
the, the first one, of course, is the victim, which is why is this happening to me? You know, just like poor me, right. which leads to depression and increased anxiety and stress. Why, why, why? Poor me. Then the second one has to do with the critic. And the critic, of course, regardless of whether it's the state, local, or federal government, the World Health Organization, United Nations, they criticize everything. Whatever comes out, they'll criticize. For example, Ben, you should wear a mask when you go outside. That's stupid. Okay, Ben, never wear a mask when you go outside. What are you trying to do? Kill me? <laughs> like either way you go, you're like, you're stuck. <laughs> then the third type you have, we call the bystander. Now the bystander reminds you a good person, but frozen in fear, deer with the headlights look, they just don't know what to do. They're overwhelmed. They're so overwhelmed by the changes, feeling so out of control, right? So they do nothing. They look to their neighbors, they look to the left, to the right, but they're immobilized and frightened to death. And what all three of these personnel types have in common is this. They take no positive actions, action towards resolution. They don't, move, they don't move the needle forward at all. Now we get to the fourth type. And the fourth type, of course, is what Coach Khan and I call the navigator, who begins with a positive attitude, practices self-care, takes care of themselves. This is the basis, really, of the book and of this navigation movement that we're, we've started. And... Coach Khan, do you want to take the rest of it? What does the navigator really do to become successful and to thrive during a crisis? So as we look at this process, the, the steps that we've laid, laid out for all of the people that want to be in that navigation mode, and it's essentially looking at the other three types and filling in the gaps. You're not, you're not a victim. You can't be a victim because something's missing. There's pieces that's missing. You're, you're a critic because something's missing there. You're a bystander because you're missing some elements. Well, what we've done is we've laid out through the keys ways to fill those gaps and help you become a navigator, which is a much more proactive and effective way of dealing with the crisis. So what we do is we start with self-care and we say, okay, you can't help anybody else. You're no good to anybody else if you are not in a good place yourself. How are you going to give something you don't have? How are you going to you know, reach out and pick somebody up if you're not on a solid footing yourself. So we encourage people as a starting point, take a look at that. And that's very counterintuitive in our society because we see that as narcissism or self-centeredness. You only care about yourself. And many people are reluctant to do that. Oh, I got to go out and do X, Y, Z. No, you don't do that until you, you, you take care of yourself. In the old days when we used to be able to get on an airline, what did, they, what did the flight attendants say before they took off? They used to say, put your mask on before you help anybody else in the, in the event of an emergency. So take that in mind. We start the book with a health assessment and a health assessment in a very holistic way. An assessment that looks at you and says, okay, how am I doing physically? Mm -hmm. Am I doing the things I need to do or am I avoiding? Am I, am I relying on drugs or other escape mechanisms to deal with the situation? Sure. Then we look at it and we say, okay, mentally, how are you feeling? How are you doing? Emotionally and ultimately even spiritually. And it's not spiritually necessarily in a religious way, but for all of us, we have a belief system, a faith system that we have. We believe in something outside of, of ourselves. And and we look add, at that. Yeah, can I add one more thing, Coach Khan? This assessment, we have it at the very, very beginning of the book, and it literally would take you, Ben, two minutes to do. Excellent. Two minutes and you're done. What it gives you in return, however, is perhaps there's some areas of your life, maybe physically you're doing great, you know, that I'm doing well. These are my strengths. But there will also be some areas of potential liabilities or places that I'm struggling with. Maybe sure. mentally I'm doing okay and emotionally, but physically I'm not taking care of myself. I'm letting myself go. Or right. spiritually, I'm completely neglecting that side of me. So in a couple of minutes, you get that feedback immediately of how well you're doing. Right. And then you begin to go through the process of the book, which is really more of a practical guide or a workbook. And if you do the things at the end of every chapter, as you read the chapter, it's very easy to implement. We suggest that when you're done, you begin to apply those principles and those action items. Then you retake the original personal health assessment. And let's say you had a score of 65, now you're up to 87. Sure. You can actually see the growth that you've made because you've started to take care of yourself physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. So that's essentially our starting point, Ben. And then from there, we move into the next key, which is essentially awareness. 
Okay. If, if you're going to be a navigator, you need to be aware of your surroundings, not just of yourself. So there's a self-awareness element, but there's also a broader awareness. So you look at it and say, okay, where am I at? How am I feeling? Okay. Whenever you're dealing with a transition like this, you, you realize that there's a beginning, a middle, and an end. Right. But the problem here is that it starts with the ending. It starts with the ending of the old way of doing things. And when it's shut off like this, the way it happens in a crisis, it's almost like a trauma. It's a situation. It's like a major loss. You go through almost the stages of grief. You have all of those different feelings, the denial, the anger, the, the, the depression, the stress, the anxiety, all of those negative emotions that come with that sense of loss and hopelessness. Mm-hmm. And until we get to that point of acceptance, it's very hard for us to move forward and become that navigator. But once then you accept that and you finish up with that ending, you accept the loss of that old way. Now, just like a cliff diver, you haven't landed anywhere yet, but you're in that midair. And you look at that and you say, okay, what's up is down. What's down is up. I've got nothing of my old world that keeps me grounded. And that's very uncomfortable. As human beings, we're not prepared to deal with that. And that's the difficult challenge right now that we're finding ourselves in. Dr. Ilya likes to, to, to say that, you know what? If you are out there right now, if you don't know what's happening and you, and you know the ups and downs, how are you going to grab onto this? What are you going to do? So now's the time for us to embrace that. If we approach that and say, you know what? Hey, now's the time for me to take risks. What is it that I always wanted to do? You know what? I'm not going to begrudge the fact that I lost to our commute. I'm going to spend that time with my kid. Or you know what? I'm going to take advantage of the fact that I can't leave the house and I'm going to call Aunt Judy, who I haven't spoken to in forever, and see how she's doing Yeah, and all of those different things. And then ultimately, Ben, we land on the other side and now we have that new beginning, that next normal. Yeah, You know, in Greece, we say there's nothing more permanent than the temporary. Mm-hmm. And from that perspective, yeah. we are constantly navigating that next normal. For anybody that's sailed, that's been out on the ocean, you realize that sometimes you have to go with the wind if you have a sailboat. And sometimes that's not a straight course. And a navigator understands that. They may not know this exact place, but because you're a good navigator, you recognize the signs and you know what to avoid and which direction to go so you can make the most of the wind. This is what I was looking forward to about this conversation. This is what what I have enjoyed in connecting with you both and Randy is we start off discussing, you know, serious, legitimate challenges, serious ones, not just some minor difficulties. We're talking about life's hardest things and facing death head on and overwhelmment of our systems and our personal lives. And at the end, I always wind up fired up and excited because of the empowering concepts that are being taught. And to say, well, of all the things that we could be afraid of, we could be afraid of all sorts of things. We could be afraid, and these things are awful that are happening to people and that are happening to our friends and our family, but it creates that, that inner knowledge and that inner engagement that says, we can get through this, we can make the most, I love the, your, your reference there to you know, the constant that's there, it reminded me of a mindfulness reference in the sense of we're always in the present, and if we get all in our heads about the future and all the awful things that could happen or we get all, all in our head about all the things that have happened in the past that we can't change, then we get into that paralysis. And, and I love your concept of the navigator who says, well, this is the moment that we have. This is what the wind is blowing our way. And it doesn't mean that life is over. It doesn't mean that we are here to give up. In fact, it's an invitation to greater growth, to greater engagement, to greater impact. And so for people who want to lay hold of these techniques, it affords people the option of saying there is other options than just giving up. There's other options than just being overwhelmed. There is an option for me to actually engage, become a navigator and actually thrive through this. And so, and it brings so much hope. It brings so much impact. And people talk about how purpose creates meaning in our life and how so many people have been frustrated with their professional careers or not finding satisfaction in their jobs. And I just think of this is a massive opportunity for people who are in their homes, who are getting used to a new normal or navigating all of, all of these things that are changing daily, for them to get a hold of these concepts that you all are sharing with us 
and, and to create one of the most engaged, purpose-driven, excited realities where people can actually look back. And this is, you know, post-traumatic growth. We talk frequently with people who have been through tremendous adversity and they look back and they say, I'm actually thankful exactly. for the adversity that leveled me at one time. And certainly not everybody's there yet. And certainly people are, you know, can be in different phases of accepting adversity that happens to them or trauma that happens to them. But at some point for people who persevere and want to be a navigator and invest their time and energy in doing that, it leads to a situation where we, we are inhabiting that new normal or that next normal to a point where we never dreamed we could be this connected, this insightful, this selfless this aware and we're improved by it i mean so well said i mean i want to get up and give you a standing ovation honestly right now <laughs> virtually no i mean no, seriously i mean this, this is exactly first of all we're all graduates from the same university the university of, of adversity all yeah. of us right and this is what i like to call the great pause it, it, it may never happen again in our lifetime yeah. so we've got for six months or 12 months or however long this lasts a great pause to think and to consciously decide, what do I want out of my life? What makes me happy and fulfilled? My new motto for 2020 is do not procrastinate your happiness. Right. Because you don't know if you're going to be here next month. Live right. your best life and live it now. Yeah. Empathy, kindness, service, love, self-compassion, self-forgiveness. Go for your dreams and do it now, not when I hit this then, or when I retire, I'm going to start traveling. No, I'm doing it right now. I'm not waiting for anything because there's no guarantees anymore. Right. And in some ways, that gives you tremendous freedom right. to live in and to live into your dreams. Yeah. Yeah. When we think about that time, Ben, now that, that time that now is in flux, this great pause, if we look at it and we ask the simple question, what would I do if I wasn't afraid? What would I do now? And Take advantage of that. But it gets to a point where, like you said, we've realized what really matters most to us. And you cannot get to the point where you truly appreciate where you've arrived if you can't look back and accept the good and the bad of what right. got you there. Right. And that's part of the acceptance that we have to get to, to move on from one phase to the next in order to mature, to grow, to learn from this and thrive in that next situation. Because truly, this was not a first time. The last crisis, the major crisis that we have with financial downturn generated its own sense of, of opportunities, for example. It left me without a job like many other people. But you know what? I started my practice this way. I was ready. And you know what? Luck is what happens when preparation meets opportunity. Yeah, that's right. And then I was ready to move forward. The same thing happened with a variety of different other industries. You look at it. Uber, that didn't exist. Airbnb, that didn't exist before the last crisis. Who knows what's going to come out of this now and a new way for us to do things. The question is, do we maintain that growth mindset, that openness to be able to do that, but not just for ourselves? Because the same way we start the keys with giving ourselves permission to take care of ourselves, we close the cycle of the keys. The seventh key is kindness. Why? Because now we've come full circle. We've charged our batteries. We're in a place where now we can reach out and offer to others what we have. And we can offer that kindness and that hand because the minute we do that, we get out of our own head. Yeah. We stop worrying about, oh, what am I going to do? And start helping others. Right. And by the way, we call, there's a call to action coming from both Coach Khan and I for people to go out and help other people right now. Not when the pandemic is over. They're not going to need you then. They need you right now. And we have gotten pushback from some people. They're like, are you serious? I'm drowning myself. You want to go out and help somebody else? What am I, my brother's keeper? And I'm like, no, you're not your brother's keeper. You're your sister's keeper and your mother's keeper and your cousin's keeper and your neighbor's keeper and the homeless keeper. Right. right. Somebody 10,000 miles across the world in India or in, in some other part of the world because we're all brothers and sisters in the end. So if you're listening to this, I promise you, I guarantee you, there's somebody worse off than you are right now in your own community, maybe even in your own household or in your extended family. There's somebody else. And when we help other people, it's human nature. When we perform acts of kindness and service, it makes us happy. On the flip side, of course, happy people and contented people, 
perform acts of service anyway on their own, just because that's what they like to do. So happiness and kindness are interconnected. You can't have one without the other. So it is a call to action. Go out and help somebody. Now, people said, but Coach Khan and Ilya, how can we, we can't see anybody. You know what? There are all kinds of ways we can help. And I'm asking you to do this. If you get a prompting, I had a prompting this morning to call somebody and I reached out to them and they were like stunned. Why are you calling me? I said, I'm just thinking about you. I hope you're well. And they're like, man, thank you so much for calling me because I'm actually kind of struggling. How did you know that? I said, well, I didn't know that, but you know, I got the message basically. If you get the prompting, don't ask why, just get on your phone or on a Zoom call or text or FaceTime, whatever, and say, I'm thinking about you. I hope you're well. If you're not, I'm here for you. So, what's the worst thing that could happen, honestly? Right. They can say, you know, thanks for calling me. I'm actually doing okay. But at least you're, thanks for thinking of me. That is the worst thing that could happen. But the best thing that could happen is you're a godsend. You're a lifesaver. I really needed someone to reach out to me and, and tell me that I matter because I'm alone. I'm lonely, isolated. Right. So do something for somebody else and do it every day. Yeah. And Ben, you and I mentioned this early on, even before we got on the on, on our call here, where it's important for people to understand that, you know what, the way our life is right now, first and foremost, you can be in a room full of people and still feel lonely. Yeah. And there are people that are by themselves that are quite content with that. And many of my introverted friends are finding this very, very productive time. Yeah. But there's a balancing act. And to Dr. Ilya's point, it's important for us to be able to look around. They might be across the globe, but they right, might be right next to us. Yeah. And they might be feeling that loneliness. It's truly about asking the, the heartfelt question, how are you doing? And really meaning it. Not just asking it to ask it and to check it off our list as a, as a courtesy. Now, it's not a throwaway question anymore. It's important for us to be able to look at that because the way we've evolved right now, I mean, Dr. Ely and I used to coach a lot of executives, for example, on work-life balance, as we used to call it. That's gone bye-bye. In this next normal, we're talking about work-life integration because now this is essentially what's happening. We are now sitting here having a professional call, a Zoom call, and all of a sudden, your cat, your dog, your three-year-old runs through the screen. And for the first time, we're really seeing people in their own environments yeah. being themselves. We used to visit you know, clients, and we used to strike up a conversation because we saw a portrait or a picture on their desk of their family, and we'd say, oh, you have kids. Now we actually get to see them running around in the background. <laughs> So it's a very different way of looking things. And quite honestly, you know what? There's a lot of things that I like about this because just as it's important for us to identify what's changing from a pure change management standpoint, if I was to give anybody a sense of what's going on, don't just look at what's changing, look at what's staying the same. And what's really staying the same is our family, our loved ones, the care that we have for each other, the compassion that we have, our humanity, this is a chance for us to bring out the best and safeguard against the worst of what we can be. Excellent. I always end this show with six questions to help my listeners understand the why within my phenomenal guests. Let's do it. Let's do okay. it. Oh. All right. Who are you thankful for today? Well, I mean, that list is endless. What do you mean? I, I, I'd like <laughs> to take at least three hours before I say it. But I'm obviously thankful for my God. I'm thankful for my family. I'm thankful for, for my my partner, Coach Khan, I'm thankful for you. That list is endless. I can go on forever. So that would be another three hours of your show. So, Coach, go ahead. I would echo that sentiment. Again, the family, the friends, the opportunity to be here with you, Ben, and to everybody that's listening to our voice. We're thankful for you for the opportunity to help. And now that we've covered who you're thankful for today, what are you thankful for today? This, this great pause. I'm, I'm, seriously, I am grateful for because it has helped me even make my own adjustments professionally and personally, and what really truly matters has risen so far. Uh, I mean, that's number one, and the second one is like way below. So I know exactly what I want to do with my life, and professionally and personally, and I'm doing it. Like I'm, I'm really doing it. So I'm very grateful for that because you know, prior to the pandemic, you know, we go, we, we're so busy, we go from one thing to the other. We don't take the time to have a great pause. This was forced upon us, but. Coach Khan and I have learned to navigate it in a way that actually has brought a lot of, you know, happiness and beauty and making a difference in people's lives and in our own lives. So that's what I'm grateful for. And let me piggyback on that one, essentially, Ben, and say, you know what? I never begrudge the burden that I have to carry 
as long as I have the strength to carry it. That's what I'm grateful for. Having the strength to carry whatever challenges in front, whatever burden is part of what, what I'm always grateful for. Excellent. How do you fuel the fire within you? You know, every day getting up and excited to have meetings like these, honestly, I, I look at my them like, I'm so blessed to have to be able to talk to these people and to reach out and to make a difference in organizations lives or because, or, Every time you do an interview, as you know, there's an audience that benefits from that. Right. You know, we don't know if it's two people, 200 people or 2,000 people but right. what, or 20,000 people. But whatever that is, I'm grateful to be able to, to share, you know, experience and knowledge and hopefully, you know, some wisdom here and there and sit with a sense of humor and, and with love and, and kindness in my heart. To me, I look across the room to my wife, to my daughter, and that's part of what excites me, what fuels me. But even beyond that, not to just my my own blood water, but I get I, I got the name Coach Con because I also coach youth sports. And that's a big part of it. So when I'm not coaching executives, I coach kids. And to me, it's a chance for me to provide life skills to help educate the next generation leaders that are coming through. So to me, I look at all of those kids, those smiling faces, the families that I can impact through the work that I do, and first and foremost, my own family, and for them, people, and that gets me up in the morning, and that gets me up, the chance that I have. You know, Mark Twain used to say, the two most important days in your life, the day you come into this world, and the day you figure out why. Mm. And I think both Dr. Ely and I have figured out why we are here, and we're hoping to share that. Excellent. What is one thing adversity has taught you to value? My health, because I had a health crisis about 15 years ago that almost sent me off to the other side. And I learned that if I don't take care of myself and my body, then nothing else really matters if you don't have that. Yep. Do it now. Say it now. Don't hold back. Be authentic. And if you have something to share with somebody, a kind word, a love, whatever that might be, say it now. Don't wait. because You never know how things might change. You may not find that opportunity again. What are you doing today? You may have never thought you could. Ooh, well, that's an interesting. Yeah, that's an You know what Coach Khan said to me? I, I want, if it's okay, to disclose that publicly here. That in in a in couple of years, I want to be location agnostic. And I'm like, what the hell does that mean? He goes, you know, be anywhere in the world and do what we're doing from any place in the world. And this great pause in the fact that we're you know, all our work basically is online, is allowing that to happen. So in 72 hours, I'm getting on the plane and going to Greece for a couple of months in Europe, I don't know exactly where. And to try out and see, can I work remotely from my home in Greece and maintain, you know, the income, the lifestyle and all that stuff while I still spend time with my family over there and my friends and see if that's really doable. Because my ultimate goal and his ultimate goal is for our families is to be spending three or four months there and, you know, seven, eight months here in the United States and have that, have that balance. It's always been a dream. It was a dream for my parents to have that. And by unfortunately, my mom died just before they were able to fulfill the dream. And it's, I feel like I want to do that. What my parents couldn't do, tragically in some ways, when my dad retired, is I want to be able to provide that for, for my wife and my family and I. So I'm going on a, an expedition, a, an experiment, a journey and we'll see when I get back in a couple of months if it works or not. But I'm very excited for that. Nice. There you go. That's it at all, Ben. Location agnostic. That's the thing that we want to be doing. Excellent. All right. And then what will you do tomorrow? You may have never thought you could. Really make a difference as, you know, as our message continues to expand. We're actually, if frankly, number one, humbled by it, but also and, and overwhelmed too by how many people are responding to our message of hope, optimism, positivity, and thriving during a crisis. I don't think we fully anticipated this, that, that what's happening. So to make a difference in millions and millions of, of lives. I would echo that one. I mean, that to me is, you start off with a dream, you start off with the, with the intent to help. And if we had started off with the mission of helping millions, it probably would have stopped us in our tracks. But we started off and saying, can we help one person, even if it's just ourselves? We drink our own Kool-Aid, Ben, and from that perspective, we have been experimenting on ourselves and saying, okay, how are we feeling in the moment? How are we feeling tomorrow? If we do this, how does that impact us? And that ability to help people and allow that message to, to reach others, to be amplified by people like you, that will take that message and amplify it out and get it out far beyond where we could on our own. 
and enlisting the help of other people that are like-minded to help others, that's the thing. This rising tide will lift all boats. That's what we're hoping for. Yeah, and by the way, that's not wishful thinking either. I mean, this is based on pragmatism. We did a webinar a couple of weeks ago for Bank of America. You know, there were about a thousand people on the call. That was, I mean, that's a lot, obviously, about how to navigate a crisis while maintaining your happiness levels. Well, as a result now, they themselves are will promote that to 200,000 employees throughout the United States. This was, you know, basically just New York folks, of a big company. And that's just a snippet of, what, of what's happening. To, to me, I'm, I mean, Coach Khan and I are blown away by what's happening. And, but very grateful, mind you. I mean, we, we're, not, we're not complaining, we're just overwhelmed. Amazing. All right, gentlemen, I really appreciate your time today. I had a great time here. Time has flown by. I wish you the very, very best. Keep in touch. Just leave us here with where people can buy your book. Well, the easiest place is just go on to Amazon, look for seven keys to navigating a crisis, a practical guide to dealing with pandemics and other disasters. You're going to need it today. You might need it tomorrow for other things that come up. You can get it on a Kindle version. You can get it in a paperback. And if you come across us anywhere, let us know and we'll sign up for you. Excellent. And as soon as we have a minute, we're going to do the audio book too. It's just been, if we haven't had a minute to do anything else, but you know, but we will get that out soon in a, in a couple of months, I hope. Right. And if people want to catch up with us and connect with us, Ben, as well, they can find us either through the Happiness Center website or my website, freshbizsolutions.com, or through our LinkedIn pages. For Dr. Elia, it's the Happiness Doctor. For me, it's under Coach Khan. And we're always open to friends that we haven't met yet to connect. And hopefully we can offer some support to each other. Excellent. And if you're listening to this, you can catch all those links below in the show notes. Be sure to explore what these amazing people are doing. So thank you, gentlemen. All the very best to you and safe travel. Thank you, Ben. Have a great uh, day. Thank you. Thank you, Ben. Thank you. Take care. You too.